Acts 3, 11 to 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to meet them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we might have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also the rulers. But God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who, spoke, who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Pastor Scott. You may be seated. Thank you, Derek. Well, that is a lot. Uh, that is a lot, but um, I think I'm going to show you as we work our way through that message that Peter gave that, that Peter must have been a Baptist because it breaks down into three points quite nicely, uh, the sermon does. I'm just teasing. I'm not critical of Baptists too much, but uh, earlier in the book of Acts, I, I just want to make this observation before we get too far down the road. Earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his apostles that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, which is the region surrounding Jerusalem, in Samaria, which is the region adjacent to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And where we're at here, we're very, we, we may, it may still be the day of Pentecost, but 
Um, it, we're very close in, in proximity to the day of Pentecost in time. Uh, very recently, the, the disciples have spoken in tongues, and um, uh, you know the Holy Spirit has come, and they have spoken in tongues. Peter has already given one sermon, and now uh, they, uh, a couple of weeks ago we studied how in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple during the hour of prayer. They encounter this lame man who's been lame from birth, sitting at the entrance of the beautiful gate to the, to the temple complex, and they heal him, and he, uh, is, he, he goes away leaping, and, uh, and, and that has given them an opportunity. We, we missed last week because of, well, we didn't miss, but we, we were on DCS Sunday last week, and so now we're on the, the back end of that healing, and we're going to see what opportunity to witness has come about as a result of that healing. In other words, the healing itself, while it is a miracle, what it's doing is it's opening up an opportunity for Peter to give this message and to be able to declare Christ, okay? It's very interesting that we see that, uh, that that healing was part of their witnessing opportunities that they're having here. Next week, uh, we're going to see uh, they're going to get dragged before the council, the Jewish council, and then they're going to get another opportunity to witness to the leadership of Israel. <laughs> so right now, uh, they're in the temple witnessing to a whole bunch of people who ran together at Solomon's porch. Since it, I, I just felt like it was God's providence, or thought that it was God's providence, this past week, uh, I think Monday when I got into the office, and I started really working on this sermon on my social media feed, a, uh, an advertisement came up for this documentary called Send Proof. And um, uh, I, I don't recommend it, but uh, I thought, well, I, I watched the trailer. It's a, it purports to be a Christian documentary. I watched the trailer. And the trailer promised that uh, we were going to learn all the medical evidence there is today of people who are on the earth today healing people in Jesus' name, that we're going to actually see the records and we're going to be convinced that there is actual healing stuff going on, healing miracles going on on the earth today. And um, let me just say that it cost $15 to get access to stream this video, and I wish I had it back. <laughs> if, if, you would like to, if, you're, if you're very much enthusiastically wanting to see this film, uh, let me know and I'll give you the login credentials to my account so that you can... But look, please don't spend $15 on this because it was clickbait. Uh, what do I mean by that? It means the trailer made it seem like we were going to get definitive medical proof by the end of this documentary, and instead the end, the end was like, well, we really don't know what's going on. I mean, maybe God's healing people, maybe he's not, we don't really know. And um, the evidence that was offered, can I just say from my opinion, was not compelling evidence. What do I mean by that? Well, these, uh, to, to gather some evidence, they, they trekked uh, deep into the African wilderness away from cities and technology uh, with a faith healer, a famous faith healer. And they took with them some very primitive testing equipment for hearing and some, some, some eye charts, okay? If, you're, if you have glasses like me, you read eye charts a lot when you go to see the eye doctor. And the, the results were rather subjective. In other words, um, people went from having, they, they did some statistics and, you know, they took some data and, and people that were experienced this healing went from like 20% hearing to 60% hearing. It wasn't like from stone deaf to full hearing, 20% uh, to 60% hearing, and some people went from being 60% blind to only being 30% blind. 
And um, I just found it to be a lack, and a lot, it wasn't very compelling, and there was really no medical uh, evidence presented except for some subjective charts that were put up uh, on the screen. And the documentary really left us with no firm answers. Now, I just say all this to say, to maybe save you $15, uh, because I, I got sucked into it, um, but maybe to save you $15, but also to say, that's not what we see in the text this morning. We see a community of people who knew this man for a long, long time, and uh, that they knew him to be a lame man. His friends took him daily and placed him at this beautiful gate so that he could beg for money, which is how he made a living. And then when the, when the apostles, when Peter and John got a hold of him and healed him in Jesus' name, it wasn't like the faith healing stuff that you see on TV where somebody gets up out of a wheelchair and kind of stumbles forward with a few steps. This man was leaping. He, he achieved not only full restoration of his legs, but some sort of athletic ability, okay, to be able to leap uh, and jump uh, on the backside of this healing. So there's, a, there's quite a big contrast going on here between what we see in this text and what we're seeing today that's been called, it's been called uh, healing. In this text today, uh, typically what I do when I do a sermon is I... Is I is I, I believe the text is answering one big question, so I present it that way. This text, I think, is answering, Peter is answering actually three questions in this text. So that's the way I'm going to present it to you today, uh, questions one, two, and three. And so let's just get into it and see what the Word of God has to say. The, question, the first question is found in verses 11 through 16, and the question is, how did this man get healed? How did this man get healed? says, when he, uh, while he, the man who, this is verse 11, while he, the man who had been healed, clung to Peter and John. You get the idea here. This man has just been healed supernaturally by these guys. He's not letting them disappear into the crowd. He's, he's going he's gonna to hang on to those guys uh, because he's probably got some friends, some acquaintances in mind that, he, that need some of that healing power as well, right? So he's clinging on to them. And all the people utterly astounded, ran to them in the portico that's called Solomon's. Now, a couple things. First of all, a portico, the portico of Solomon or Solomon's portico was, a, think of it as a porch, part of the temple structure in the, uh, in the uh, temple in Jerusalem. And it's oftentimes a place where people would gather, kind of an open air space, people would gather and there'd be teaching going on or some activity event, something going on on this porch. Yesterday was a nice day, so I swept and cleaned the TD portico, the porch off the, we have an, like a screened-in porch off the back of our house, right? So it's, it's kind of like where we gather to do special things, maybe have a meal when it's nice outside, you get the idea. So the second thing that we see there is that the people ran, ran. There was a, something had gone on that, that demanded, I mean, I don't know what you run for. You know, if somebody says, oh, it's a nice day, uh, let's all go downtown and hang out like a whole bunch of people were yesterday. I'm not going to run there, right? I'm going to get in my car, drive down, you know, park somewhere if I can find parking, and then walk downtown. But something compelling was going on. They were running. And I'm imagining all the people, once they gathered on Solomon's portico, they're all standing there looking at Peter and John going, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? I mean, they have an audience, and that audience is captive, right? Verse 12, and Peter saw, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And Peter is going to do something as part of his sermon that's just genius. Look at this. Men of Israel. I mean, they're in the Jewish temple. This is a place of worship, right? Men of Israel, 
Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Immediately, Peter is taking the opportunity to say, we're not the ones with the special anointing here. We're not the ones with, we're, it's not us. It's not because of our power or our devotion to God, our piety, that this man is able to walk. He immediately turns the conversation in God's direction. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I mean, he's naming the patriarchs. These are people who the Jews are familiar with. These are the big names in their community, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. This is a kind of an in-your-face moment because they're saying that Jesus, the one who was crucified, which can we all just remind ourselves, is one of the most horrifying and embarrassing, humiliating, degrading ways to die. And they're talking about that person, Jesus, as the one whom God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, he's the one that God glorified. More on that in a minute. And then he goes on to say, You're the, you guys killed him. You delivered him, uh, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he, Pilate, a pagan Roman, the occupiers of this land, when that guy said, I don't see anything wrong with this guy, I'm going to release him, you said, no, kill him. That's who we're talking about here. I mean, he's saying this to their faces. I would say, I would define this as uh, boldness in preaching, wouldn't you? <laughs> would that be an understatement? I mean, what would be the equivalent of me saying up here, uh, what would be the equivalent of me saying from up here to you that would make you feel like they felt when he's saying all this, right? I mean, and remember, this is all in the background of they have, just ra they have just healed a man, thus displaying God's power. They had just healed a man uh, supernaturally. He was now leaping around, right? You killed him, right? Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Again, this is not the power or piety of John or Peter. God did this through Jesus, who they denied and murdered. I don't know why I put an extra Jesus on there. Who they denied and murdered. Not Jesus, again. Who they denied and murdered. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now what is he saying there? What is he saying there? Keep in mind what he had said just a minute ago. It's not by our power or piety. Not by our power, like we're able to heal this man, or our piety, our devotion to God is not what allowed us to heal this man. Then he goes on to talk about Jesus, the holy and righteous one, i.e. piety, and the author of life, the one who created all this, i.e. power. He is a, Peter is ascribing all of the ability to heal this man to Jesus. It's amazing if you look at it. 
and his name, by faith in his name, he, this is verse 16, his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, I'm going to admit to you that verse 16 in the original Greek is a very difficult construction. Why? It's because we think, or some scholars think, that what Luke was trying to do was to structure the words in such a way. He wanted to structure the words so that it said, faith, name, name, faith, which is kind of a way that they emphasized that the important thing here is the name of Jesus. That's, that's what we've got to focus on, the name of Jesus. And so it becomes an odd construction, a, 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 an odd construction in Greek. And so I don't know about your translation, but my ESV Bible has all kinds of hyphens in it, which means that the translators had a hard time translating as well. And his name, hyphen, by faith in his name, hyphen, has made this man strong whom you see and know. He's trying to emphasize the name of Jesus. Now, let's just, let's just talk about a few things first. Let's talk about the word glorified, okay? He mentioned that earlier in the text, glorified. There's all kinds of Old Testament prophecy, not the least of which is Isaiah 52, that talks about the glorification of the coming servant. And in Isaiah 52, the suffering servant, Jesus, uh, the Bible, uh, God says in, in Isaiah, through Isaiah, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Many of you know this passage. Maybe you know it by heart. But in God's economy, in the way God thinks about greatness, and the way God thinks about ability, we have to understand that Jesus is the pinnacle of that. We think about power and ability and, and being exalted completely different. In our human understanding of exaltation, it means this. Come up with a really good idea, sell it to the public, make billions, maybe millions or billions of dollars, drive fancy cars, wear fancy clothes, you know, uh, be married 16 times. I don't know. I, you know it, it's weird the way we think about what it means to be exalted or glorified on the earth. Perhaps a king who has a rule over a large kingdom, even if the people don't like him, we think about that as someone who is high and exalted. That's not true in God's economy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Stop right there. You see what Paul is saying here? Do you grasp it? Jesus is God. But though he was God, he did not, that didn't, that wasn't his, being that, of that status wasn't the goal that he came to, to achieve. Instead, he took his status as God and became and lowered himself by becoming human, becoming in human form, and then once in human form, humbled himself to be obedient to God the Father's overall plan, even obedient to the most humiliating, excruciating possible death, death on a cross, to, to do what? 
to save, wait for it, his enemies. I can't think, I don't think it, it, it boggles, defies the human imagination. I think many of us in this room, if caught at the right moment, may lay our lives down for a fellow countryman, a fellow church member, one of our children, perhaps our spouse we would lay our lives down for, or a close friend. Jesus, who was God, humbled himself, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but lowered himself, became in human form, humbled himself by being obedient to God the Father's plan, even to be obedient to death on a cross to save, to rescue sinners like you and me. It's what we think about, we fill our minds with when we gather for the Lord's table, these realities. Now, keep that in your mind. This is what Jesus has done. Back to Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore, in light of that reality, God, talking about God the Father, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see how in God's economy greatness is measured much differently than in ours? Do you see that? And so when Peter in Acts chapter 3, which we can go back to, in Acts chapter 3 is talking about glorifying, this is what he's talking about. And then he talks about faith in Jesus' name. And just to remind us all, because I I do see some new faces from time to time, here at Delaware Bible Church, uh, we believe that faith means knowledge, Assent and trust. To to understand God's word, to believe that it's true, and to place the weight of our lives upon it. Like we're walking a tightrope, you know. Like we're gonna we're gonna put our faith in that tightrope, right? But let's talk about Let's talk about the name of Jesus, because he makes a big deal. And I think that given the, Greek constru- the construction in the original language of Greek, what he's, what he's really focusing on is the name of Jesus. What does the name of Jesus mean? Is it like a magic spell where we just say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, demon, come out. No. The name of Jesus is a, is a, is a placeholder for all that God is in himself, his attributes, his love, his mercy, his power, his humi- you know, Jesus' humility in doing what he did. That's what it means to talk about the name of Jesus. Let me, let me try to illustrate that as best I can. Uh, does every, well, many of you in this room will probably know this guy, okay? Does everybody know this guy? Mr. Rogers built a... a Okay, for those of you that are younger, he was the dude that was on TV. I don't know what the modern equivalent would be. Paw Patrol? I don't know. This was our Paw Patrol. It was just a guy with a sweater and some shoes and puppets, okay? And a really cool stoplight on the wall. Um, Mr. Rogers, if I said to you, if if I said to you, I think that we should go find some puppy dogs and run them over with our cars in the name of Mr. Rogers, 
That doesn't make any sense, right? First of all, that's gross, but that doesn't make any sense. Because Mr. Rogers, all that he stood for in his life consistently was children and education and love and care and play. And he was a Christian, right? He may not have, his beliefs might not have lined perfectly with ours, but he was a Presbyterian pastor. At least that's what he was ordained to be, and that's what he stood for. And so if we said, we're going to start a children's educational foundation, and we're going to call it the Mr. Rogers Foundation for Children's Education, that would make total sense, right? Total sense. Because that would be consistent with what he represented, his name. On the other hand, if you have this guy, oh boy, I, I keep breaking my clicker today. What am I doing wrong? There, if you have this guy. See, my clicker didn't want even, to, I'm not even going to mention the guy's name. So for those of you that are listening on this, on audio, you're not going to get it, right? But it's a really bad guy. And this guy, his name is associated with power and control and propaganda and hate and genocide and military conquest and many other things. You could probably throw in the occult. That's what his name is associated with. And so if I said to you, we're going to start a children's foundation and we're going to start an educational, uh, an educational foundation for children in this man's name, do you think it's going to be a little bit different than the other guy, Mr. Rogers' name? Because that children's foundation is probably going to try to brainwash and propagandize children into a, way of, a specific way of political thinking. Not so much maybe with Mr. Rogers. So, oh boy. So, when we talk about, when Peter is talking about in Jesus' name, his name, in Jesus' name, we're talking about Jesus' love, his mercy, his power, his knowledge, his sacrifice, his teachings, that, his, that he was here to make peace between God and man. That's the things that we talk about in Jesus' name. Proverbs 18.10 is something probably worthy of your memorization. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. That word safe in Hebrew, because this is Old Testament, means above the fray in a well-protected area, right? In a well, there's, there's turmoil and chaos going on down here, but I'm safe. I'm above the fray. And so whenever I think about this verse, I think about Masada, which is I've had the opportunity to go to Israel. I've had the opportunity to visit Masada. It's a plateau on top of which the Israelites built, uh, they fashioned a fortress up there, and the kings of Israel would often, if they were being invaded or attacked or whatever, they would flee to Masada because it's got such high walls, such steep walls of this plateau that if you're climbing up there, which you can, if you're climbing up there to attack the people in the fortress on top of the, the, the shelf of the plateau, you are an easy target for lots of things. Rocks, arrows, you know, small woodland creatures, you know, just throw them down and you're probably going to take some guy out, right? And so, what, where is the safe place in this world? It's in the name of Jesus. What he taught, all that he stood for, that's where our lives should be fixed, on the name of Jesus. 
So, how did this man get healed? The answer is through the powerful name of Jesus, which also illustrates to us that God is able. What do I mean by that? What is this healing demonstrating? It's demonstrating that God is the one who is powerful and can restore all that is broken by sin, including this man's legs. God is able to restore all things. He's able. He's able to do that which medical science cannot do. He's able to do that which human cunning and craftiness cannot do. Despite all of our technology, God is able. Question number two, how can I live in the truth? Now Peter is moving on to, to address uh, a deeper issue here. Verse 17, and now brothers, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 17, and now brothers, so he's talking to his fellow Israelites, right? His fellow Jewish people. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would, be, would suffer, he thus fulfilled. His Christ, Christ, remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his theological title. It means Messiah. It means anointed one. Okay? So this Messiah, this anointed one, would suffer, and he fulfilled that. He did suffer. And so, again, he's, he's, he's understanding that they operated in ignorance. He's also reminding them that the prophets tried to tell you what happened. You've experienced the suffering of the Christ. You've experienced his death, his burial, his resurrection. You still didn't believe it, and we just healed this man, and now you're staring at us, and we're telling you once again, and hopefully you're starting to understand. And then he says this, Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So what's he saying? He's saying they need to turn around. That's what repentance is. It means to turn around from doing life your way and begin to do life God's way, to repent. That's what it means. And, and then he talks about what will flow out of that repentance. Number one, your sins will be removed. That is the great gospel message. What has separated us from our holy, heavenly Father, God, the Father, what has separated us from Him is our sin. He is so holy, He is so perfect, he is a bucket of, he's like a bucket of clean water that has no impurities, no mineral content. It's just perfectly clean water. And our sin is like a drop of filth. And just one drop of filth, that water, which you would gladly drink from because it was perfectly clean and perfectly, one drop of filth polluting that that large container, and you wouldn't want to have anything to do with drinking that or using that for anything. But through Jesus, what he's done on the cross, if we put our faith in his name, we will receive the removal of our sin, thus restoring our relationship with God. Isaiah chapter 1, again, the Old Testament prophets speak about this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. 
Jesus is able to remove all our sin. But that's not the only thing that he promises in this text. He says refreshment, that you may receive refreshment from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on this, but I'm going to, I'm going to speak more about this tonight. And again, we have, a, we have a meeting tonight that we're going to take a vote, so we need all you members to come and be part of that so we can establish a quorum. But, but from more than that, come tonight to hear from God's Word about how to be re- spiritually refreshed and uh, take the Lord's table together. The Bible talks a little bit about, well, it talks often about spiritual refreshment. Uh, Philemon 7, there's only one chapter in Philemon, so it's Philemon verse 7 says this, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What's he talking about? What's this refreshment from the presence of the Lord? Well, let me use an illustration to try to communicate. Uh, my son, Caleb, my only son, uh, moved for a time, just a few months, to the Southern California desert, 29 Palms area, if you're interested, or if you've got a background in the Marine Corps. I think 29 Palms is where you go when you've done something wrong. Is that? Yeah. Marv says yes. You, when you've messed up, they send you to 29 Palms. I think you go to 29 Palms to, to train for going to Afghanistan and Iraq because it's a desert, right? And um, I went out there to visit Caleb, and I learned very quickly that you don't go anywhere without water. I'm a Midwestern boy. It rained this morning, and look, it's already drying out out there. But um, I'm a Midwest boy, and um, I'm not used to carrying around all that water with me. But if you don't have water out there, it's not going to take you long to get dehydrated because it's a dry and barren land. While I was out there, we, we hiked through Joshua Tree National Park, which is not too far from where he was living. And um, I took this picture. It's a dry and desolate wilderness that will suck the moisture right out of your body. So you've got you to stay refreshed and replenished with water. Everybody's getting thirsty now, right? Similarly to that, similarly to that, we're walking this earth, and can I just say, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but this is a very spiritually dry land that we live in. I know it's the United States of America, and many folks would point to the fact that that this country was founded on Judeo-Christian values, and I agree with that, but we're nowhere near where we used to be, right? And we're constantly being bombarded with messages that God is not real. And that kind of sucks the spiritual life out of you a little bit, doesn't it? We're constantly being bombarded with, with uh, folks saying that, that Christians are, are backwards, that we don't understand life really, uh, that uh, if we would just adopt a, a more open way of thinking, that things on the earth would be so much better. There would be, we could restore everything if we just did it our way. And it kind of sucks more of the spiritual energy out of you, right? Not only that, but we're sinners, right? So we sin and we feel guilty before God, if we, especially if we don't deal with our sin God's way. But not only that, but daily we're being sinned against, sometimes by other believers and sometimes by the world, by unbelievers out in the world who may use an occasion of our own vulnerability to extract out of us heaping sums of money, or maybe even worse, do violence to us as people. 
This is a very spiritually dry land that we're living in. And so God has given us some ways that we can be refreshed spiritually. You're doing one of them right now. You're gathering yourselves together with other believers, and the fellowship that you experienced before this gathering and after this gathering, that's good for your soul, right? The, the singing that we do early, that we did earlier, where we sing about the truths of God, who He is, as we reorient our minds to, yes, we're living in this world, but this is what life is all about, what God has said. This is who I am in Christ. My sins are completely forgiven because of what He's done on the cross. It's, my, my debt has been paid in full. That we refresh our minds and we experience these things on a routine basis is very spiritually refreshing. Taking the Lord's table together, experiencing uh, a new believer getting baptized. And by the way, we've already got a, a few, a couple of people lined up to get baptized on Father's Day. Praise the Lord. If you, if you want to follow the Lord in baptism, come see me. We'll get you signed up uh, for baptism as well. But these things are refreshing to us as we see people follow the Lord. It's refreshing to be able to serve one another. As, as people go through, to, Kimra Sutton just moved to New York and we were able to serve her by helping her load up and move. And, and Janet Rainey even went out with her to help her unpack and put things away and then flew back. And it's a, it's a blessing and refreshing to be able to do these things. And we thank God that he has given us the opportunity to have a copy of His Word in our hands. Not all of our brothers and sisters around the world have that privilege. So I would ask you, before we move on to the next point, uh, are you taking the time in your life to be spiritually refreshed on a routine basis? It's, if I don't drink this while I'm there, I die. And I would argue that if you don't, if you don't spiritually refresh yourself, on a routine basis, your life is going to get very difficult. Don't disconnect yourself from church attendance. Don't disconnect yourself from the Word of God. Don't disconnect yourself from fel meaningful fellowship. The third thing that it talks about in this, you know, after you repent, you get your sins removed. Refreshing, refreshing times are coming from the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And then also the restoration in the future, the restoration uh, of all things. And you can read about that in Revelation 21. You can also read about it in many places in God's Word. That God talks about that, that, that picture that we saw of the healing of that man and him restoring, the, the, the effects of sin reversing and his legs being restored, guess what? That guy went on to die. When, God, when Jesus returns and restores all things, that will be put an end to. He will restore all things and reverse the effects of sin. So, how can I live in the truth? It's easy. It's easy. The answer is, I missed that one, sorry. The healing points to this restoration. But the answer is, turn and put your faith in Jesus. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Turn and put your faith in Jesus because God is offering. Finally, and very practically, the end part of his sermon answers a third question, which is, how should I live today? I love this part. I always love the practical part. I don't know why. But uh, back to Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. 
How should I live today? Look what it says, verse 22. Moses said, okay, this is Peter quoting Moses. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from all the people. Let's just stop right there. I often say this. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s, and so every once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll hear a lyric from a song that I grew up with in the 80s, and it just brings back all the memories, right? It brings back all the memories from my childhood. And uh, in the same way, I believe that when God puts in a quote from the Old Testament, it's designed to call our memory back to what was being said back there. So take your Bibles and turn to, um, to Deuteronomy 18. Because that what he just quoted there, Moses will raise up a prophet like you, and then whoever doesn't listen to him will be uh, destroyed from all the people. Those are quotes from Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus. But let's focus on the Deuteronomy 18 quote and look at it in its context. Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9. So, Remember the context of Deuteronomy. The people are the Israelites have been released from Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. Moses is, given, is giving them the law a second time. That's what Deuteronomy means. A second telling. Verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. I always make fun of my wife uh, because the, the Greek word for sorcerer is pharmakia. And she's a pharmacist. She doesn't like that. She's at work today, so don't tell her I said that. Hi, honey. She's probably watching on live stream. Uh, anyway. Or anyone who interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or anyone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them, the Canaanites, out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which are about to, you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners and two diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Here it comes, here comes the quote, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when he said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Let's stop right there and go back to Acts chapter 3. What is he saying here? What is Peter, by going back to Deuteronomy 18 and bringing that quote forward, what is he saying here? He's answering the question, okay, we know that Jesus is, that God is the one through Jesus who accomplished this healing. We know what the truth is now, that Jesus is the Christ and that he died on the cross for our sins and we should repent. 
How should I live? It's easy. There was a people, just like back in the times of, of, of Deuteronomy, there, were, there, were, there was a time where people were trying to operate their lives on, on other sources of truth, sorcery and divination. And can I just say, we need to reject those things, whether they come in the form of the Enneagram or the form of horoscopes or the fortune cookie that you're going to get at Panda Express when you go eat lunch today after church. That's not where we get our sources of truth. Amen? We instead are to listen to Jesus. It's pretty simple. To operate our lives according to what Jesus has said. Remember what he told the disciples, right? Matthew, 18, or Matthew 28, 19, 20, go and, and, and uh, go to all the world, preach the gospel, you know, make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've taught you. Listen to the word of God. I always find it interesting when I say that, that Jesus, in, according to John 1, is the word made flesh. It's God's word made flesh and he dwelled among us. Listen to Jesus. Okay, let's wrap up this, let's wrap up this portion here. Verse 24 to the end. All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him all proclaim these days. Okay, so these, this should be nothing new to you all. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets. The prophets were Jewish, you're Jewish. And, all, and of the covenant God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In other words, he's saying that, that reality of all, of in Abraham's offspring, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. That, that is being fulfilled in Jesus because he has opened the door of salvation to everyone who will put faith in his name. That's being fulfilled in Jesus right there, right before them. Verse 26, God, having, been, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. This is all throughout Romans, by the way. Uh, Jesus came first to the Jew, then to the Greek. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, the non-Jew. He sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. The ultimate problems that we have are not physical it's not the lame man's legs that were his ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is that we are, are infiltrated, we are stained by sin, and we need that sin to be removed, and we need to be empowered to live a life like Jesus did. And that's exactly what God has given us. He's sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He's allowed the Holy Spirit to take up residence in the lives of his people. He's given us his word and given us the power that we need to live according to it. Will you yield to it, is the question. These are the days, these days are what the prophet spoke about since Abraham, and the, and the answer to the question is, follow Jesus by doing what he said. God is leading us. Follow Jesus by doing what he has said. I'm almost done. It's easy for me, it's easy for us, and me personally, to say, I understand what God has said in his word. I understand it. It's true. It's another thing for me in my personal time of the Lord, with the Lord when I'm refreshing myself in him to say, Ugh, I know that my life is not currently in line with what God has said in this one particular area. 
and I'm going to abandon my way. I'm going to repent in that particular area and go God's way. I don't like it in my flesh, but I trust that He, he is the way. He is the one who uh, has saved me. And so His ways are best. Okay, I want to make one final observation, and I know this is weird because I never do it exactly this way, but as I was studying this text and I, was, I, broke this, I, I figured out how to break this kind of thing down into three main questions, it occurred to me as I was wrapping up my sermon prep, something strange. So question one was, uh, uh, how did this man get healed? Uh, and, it's, and the answer was, through the powerful name of Jesus, God is able. And I, and I thought, you know, at the, at the end of time, you know, when, when Jesus returns, he's going to restore all things. And this healing is a picture of that. And so what is the way, what is the pathway to get to that healing well, it's, or to get to that um, restoration it's through Jesus, right? He's the way. Question two is, how can I live in the truth? And uh, the answer to that question was, turn and put your faith in Jesus, right? In other words, Jesus is telling us the truth. He's, he is the truth. And question three was, how should I live today? Um, and the question is to follow Jesus by doing what he says. And so it just occurred to me that, that Jesus actually told us this earlier in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know. Maybe I'm just cheesy and a dork, but uh, that came to me when I was uh, studying for this message. No one comes to the Father except through me, he said. All right, let's look at some possible application. First of all, just going back to the, the healing situation, I would say this. I want you to observe with me once again that this healing brought an opportunity to be a witness. That was the major focus. Uh, it, the major focus was not the healing itself. Itself, The healing brought the opportunity for, them, for him to witness, and it's going to produce more witnessing opportunity in the next section of, of uh, text. And so if miracles do not point to Jesus, I would be skeptical. If the miracle is just in, it, in and of itself the thing that we're supposed to look at, that some faith healer is saying this is the, this is the thing, I would be skeptical because that's not the pattern that we see here, right? Secondly, uh, I would learn, and again, I'm going to talk about this tonight at the Lord's table, learn to be refreshed and to refresh others spiritually. This is a skill that you can learn to have, you know, I, I guess I'll say it again because I say, if you're reading through the Bible and it's not refreshing you spiritually, maybe it's time to take a different plan, make a different plan. If every time you're around someone, you just drag them into a ditch, Maybe it's time to learn how to be more refreshing to others. Now, we all go through hard times, and we need others to refresh us in those times, but if that's your pattern, uh, maybe you need to come out of that. And then third, put into practice what Jesus has said. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the hard part. This is where it's difficult, is to think about the areas that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us, even right now, where we're not in compliance with God's Word and agree with Him and repent. Father, we thank you for this amazing sermon that Peter gave and all that it means. Father, I pray that as we've been challenged this morning, that we would make intentional and meaningful decisions and take meaningful and intentional actions that are consistent with your word, which is so life-giving and so amazing. And to not take our information from the world around us 
that is constantly trying to sap us of our spiritual life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.